Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, January 28th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, a message titled, Jesus Sympathizing with Sufferers and Sinners. I began to preach and teach God's Word, I did not like the book of Hebrews. I, I didn't understand really what all it was trying to show us. Uh, one of the main points of the book of Hebrews is that the Old Testament has passed away and the New Testament's come and replaced it. Okay? Got it? And it seemed kind of redundant to kind of keep, you know, spend 13 chapters talking about how the old has been replaced by the new. You know, it just seemed that way to me. And that's just one point in the book. And if that's where we stop in our understanding, we miss the greatest point of the entire book. And as I began to see it, as, I, as God helped me to see it and the truth that's here, that the book of Hebrews actually is like an open window into heaven. And the new that has come has brought us so much that is so wonderful that God wants us to see it. And God allows us through the book of Hebrews to see what Jesus is doing in heaven now because the old has passed away and the new has come. And so I like the book of Hebrews now. I love the book of Hebrews. I'm loving preaching through it and I appreciate your, your attention in this and I know from your feedback that you have been being blessed by it as well. And so we're going to see another glimpse into heaven today in Hebrews chapter 4. Actually, through the entire book, uh, once you survey it, you find that there are seven glimpses into heaven and into what Jesus is doing now. And we have noted four of those so far. Chapter 1, we see Jesus sitting on the throne, and from that high place of power and privilege, he is doing everything else. Better than anyone can do it. In chapter 1 also we see him, and this is the second glimpse, Jesus serving the needs of saints. And then chapter 2 we see Jesus sanctifying the servants of God. And then in chapters 3 and 4 we see him satisfying the surrendered with his peace. And then we come to chapter 4 and we see another glimpse of him Beginning in verse 14, you see it begins with a word of a visual. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What do we see him doing? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So from heaven today, Jesus 
is sympathizing with those who suffer and with those who are being tempted to sin. That's what he's doing. And he's sending down help as we need it. So there's no one busier in heaven than Jesus. He is serving the needs of his people. He is overseeing the kingdom of God. He is involved every time that we are overwhelmed and we need help in some way. He's the one who's on the other end of that help that comes. Jesus is our great, loving, merciful high priest. We couldn't make it without him. And so when life becomes overwhelming, the message of Hebrews is not draw away or drift away from him, but draw near to him because you need him more than anyone else. He's doing something that no one else does for us, and he's doing it from the highest place in heaven, and he's doing it with the greatest power that anyone can do it with. And so the Hebrew people that this book was written to, they were overwhelmed, they were in a bad place, and they were being tempted to draw away from Christ. But the writer of Hebrews is telling them, and he's telling us, he's saying, when things get difficult, don't, don't drift away, but look up and be encouraged as you see the Lord high and lifted up and see what he's doing for you and seeing that he is there to give you the help you need every moment of your life. And keep going. Don't give up. Hold fast your confession. Hold fast your faith, cling to the Lord, and keep going. That's the message of Hebrews. And in this section of Scripture that we read this morning, it is telling us that Jesus is able to sympathize with all of us here on the earth that are suffering, that are being tempted to sin. He's able to feel what we feel because he's been there. And so his heart from heaven is able to connect with your heart. And if you're his, then he, he knows what you're going through. And he feels what you feel. He hurts like you hurt. His heart is one with yours. As he said in, the, in John chapter 17, when he prayed to the Lord, he said, I and them and you and me. So he's with us. He's in us. His heart is our heart. And our heart is his heart. And so he is able to sympathize with us. The word sympathize means to, to feel the same feeling. It means to suffer with. So today, Jesus in, in heaven is no longer suffering for sin, to pay for sins, but he is feeling what we feel, and in that sense, he is suffering along with you and me. Because he's drawn toward us. He is so given to us that he can't help. As he sees what we're going through, he can't help but just feel that along with us. And so in this text, uh, I want you to see the three feelings that Jesus can feel along with us from heaven. There are three things that I think are identified here. And the first is that Jesus is able to know what it feels like to be weak. So three ways Jesus feels what we feel. Number one, Jesus knows what it feels like to be weak. That's in verse 15. That, that word weaknesses 
Uh, it means without strength. And it has the ideal of frailty, suffering, and sickness. So what's been, what, has in, what is in mind with this word weaknesses here is physical weakness. You know, some of us, we don't like to admit when we're weak, when we need help. I don't know how I can handle it. But all of us grow weak from time to time, and we need help. Some of you young guys, some of you older guys, you don't want to admit you need help, that you, can get, you, you become weak sometimes, you can't handle it. But the Bible says that we all have weaknesses. No matter how accomplished we are, how strong, or how we've handled things in the past, we all have weaknesses. And Jesus knows that. And he's able to feel that with us because he experienced weaknesses as well when he was here on this earth. Now this raises a, an interesting question. If Jesus knows what it feels like to be weak, to be physically weak, did Jesus ever have a time in which he became sick? It's an interesting question. The Bible doesn't say that he ever got sick. But the Bible does teach, and particularly here in the book of Hebrews, it teaches that Jesus took on flesh and blood just like we are flesh and blood. Yet, he did not have sin. Going back to chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. And so he took on flesh like you and me. He took on a body like our body. He didn't have sin, but he took on a body. And that body got thirsty, and that body got hungry, and that body grew tired. He needed to sleep at the end of the day. And that body could become weak. It could become tired. It could be injured. It could be killed, and it could die, and it did. So this is the flesh and blood that Jesus took on to himself, and in that sense, he knows what it feels like to have physical weakness. Now, I think since Jesus was the Son of God and he did things better than anyone else, I think his body performed better than anyone else's. And I think his natural immunity that God puts within the human body, Jesus had better than anyone else. And I think that kept him from getting sick. I think that's why we don't read about it in the Scripture. But he knew what it felt like. Because his heart was one with those that he came into contact. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 that all kinds of sick and weak people gathered around him at this time in his ministry. And the scripture says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That phrase, moved with compassion, means he was moved inside. You know, it's kind of like when you're watching a dramatic movie and things begin to happen on the movie and you either begin to smile and laugh and you may even say something out loud if it's a good moment or maybe you begin to fight tears and tears begin to come down your cheek. Things happen on the outside because things are moving on the inside. That's what this word means. And that's the way Jesus was when he saw the multitude. Even though Jesus wasn't sick, they were sick and he felt what they felt. And the Bible says he was moved from his compassionate heart. And right now he's looking down from heaven and he sees everyone who is dealing with sickness, who's dealing with anxiety and concern and the overwhelming feeling that they might never get better or it might never 
ever improve. And Jesus feels that feeling. He knows that feeling. Are you dealing with chronic sickness? Jesus knows what that feels like. And this scripture says that he is in, in heaven now feeling what you feel. And he has help. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But he knows what you're going through. A second feeling that Jesus feels from heaven is mentioned in verse 15, and that is that Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted. And this is spiritual struggle. The first feeling deals with physical weakness. The second deals with spiritual struggle. The Bible says that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus faced all kinds of temptation, and as he faced that, he faced it as we face it, and that means, at least in one measure, that it was not easy for him. It was a struggle. Now, did Jesus ever get to the point where he, 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 he wasn't sure which way he would go? No, he always knew the right thing to do, and he always knew that's what he was going to do. But the Bible shows us here that in his flesh he came, and he came to be like we are. He came to face temptation as we face it. And that brings up another intriguing question, that is, could Jesus have sinned? Not did he sin. We know the answer to that question. He did not sin. He was a perfect sacrifice for us. But could he have sinned? The Bible teachers and theologians have debated that question for years. I think the book of Hebrews maybe gives us some information that helps us to make a conclusion about it. Here it says that he faces temptation just as we face it. And in chapter 2, verse 18, it says that when Jesus was tempted, that it was not easy, that it was, a, it was suffering for him. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So as Jesus faced, it, faced temptation, it was hard for him. Now I think that gives us a clue that, that yes, in his temptation, he had, he had come to take our place. And he was made like us. The Bible calls him the second Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He came to do what Adam failed to do. And just like Adam, I think that the Bible showing us that Jesus did have freedom of his will. Because Adam had that. And you and I had that. And Adam could choose the wrong way and he did. And you and I can choose the wrong way and we did. But unlike Adam and unlike us, Jesus, even though he had freedom of will, he chose the right thing every single time. And it wasn't easy. He suffered through that experience. He felt the pull. Even though he knew he would not go in the wrong direction, he felt it because we feel it. And he is our hero captain of salvation, always made the right choice every single time. That's why you can trust him. That's why if you're tempted right now and you're struggling in your personal life with sin, Jesus is the one who can lead you through that. And Jesus is the one who can take care of your sin if, if you realize that sin has separated you from God and you want to be with God. 
He's the one who's gained the victory over it. He's the one you can trust. He's the one who can deliver you. But he feels it. He feels what you and I feel as we struggle with sin. So look up. Look to Jesus. If you're struggling with sin in your life, and you're being pulled in every direction, you feel like you're going to be pulled apart, Jesus knows what that feels like, and he has help for you that can make the difference. More about that in just a minute. A third feeling that Jesus feels from heaven from verse 15, or rather verse 16, is that Jesus knows what it feels like to need help. The word help is mentioned in verse 16. For all those who are struggling with physical weakness and all those who are struggling with spiritual issues, Jesus has a throne and at that throne, you can find help, the Bible says in verse 16. Jesus knew what it meant to be in a place where you had to cry out for help. If you look in the very next chapter in verse Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, the writer talks about this. It says, Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries, with strong cries, and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so Jesus suffered in his life. And there were times where he had to cry out. And he cried out with strong cries of, of help to the Father. And this, this no doubt refers to the last days of his life when... He hung on the cross and went through the suffering of being rejected and condemned to die. And even back to the Garden of Gethsemane when all that began to be laid upon him and the cup of salvation filled with all of our sin was brought to him and he began to, to see that. And he began to drink it. In those moments, the Bible shows us that he cries out on multiple occasions. He cried out on the cross. He cried out when they beat him and they whipped him and they tortured him. He shed tears in the garden as he cried out to the Father. Jesus knows what it feels like to have to cry out for help. If you're in that place in your life right now, he knows what that feels like. In the garden, Jesus was so stressed out. The Bible says something unusual. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, that his sweat became great drops of blood. Now that's actually a medical condition that you can read about. He was so stressed out and he was so overwhelmed that he actually said during that time that my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He said, I'm about to die because I'm so overwhelmed by sorrow. And he began to sweat great drops of blood. This is a medical condition called hematohydrosis. And it's a condition where the blood vessels near the skin actually rupture and the blood then pours out through the sweat glands. And this is what was happening with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because he was so overwhelmed. And so if you're overwhelmed, 
Jesus knows what that feels like. And just like help came from heaven for him in those moments, there is help for us from heaven. If you're overwhelmed, you need to look up and see that Jesus is the one who is listening when you cry out for help. Jesus knows. He feels what you feel. And from his sympathetic heart, he is responding to us in several different ways. What I see in the scripture is that there are three human feelings that we struggle with and Jesus identifies with. And for those three human feelings, Jesus has three heavenly responses. There is first the feelings of weakness and temptations and needs, the need for help. And then for that, Jesus, we see in verse 16, is responding with grace, with mercy, and with help. So let me share with you three heavenly responses Jesus is giving us today. These are in your notes if you want to follow along. There's some blanks to fill in there. Number one, Jesus is giving grace for our weaknesses. For our physical weaknesses, our sicknesses, there is grace, God's sustaining grace from heaven that is poured into our lives. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but because God loves us and God is a God of grace, he is pouring that out upon us from heaven. And the verse here says, Verse 16 says that actually when you get near God, you find that he is actually on a throne of grace. That means right there where he is in his very presence, there are signs of grace all around him. And that's exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 5, where we see that glimpse of God's throne. Over God's throne, the Bible says there's a rainbow. What does that rainbow remind us of? It reminds us of the rainbow that God's put in the sky as a promise that he will no, never ever destroy the earth by water. At a time when the whole earth was destroying itself, God intervened and he sent a man named Noah to build an ark so that mankind could have a way of escape. God's judgment had to come because sin was so great the, the earth was going to destroy itself if God did not intervene. And so God intervened, but he gave a way of escape. A way of grace, a boat of grace. But many rejected it. They didn't get on the boat. If you've ever been on the replica of that boat that's built in Kentucky, you can go see it today. It's a life-size replica of it. And you go on it and you quickly understand and see visually that there was room for more than just eight people on this huge boat, even with all the animals. And so God's got a grace. And he put that rainbow up there in the sky to say, there's a way of escape from my destruction. And over his throne is a rainbow. It's a sign of grace because it's a throne of grace. There around that throne also from Revelation chapter 5, you find there's 24 elders. Who are they? I think it's the 12 representatives from the Old Testament, 12 leaders from the tribes of Israel. From the Old Testament and then the 12 apostles that represent all those in the New Testament. I say that because later uh, heaven has a wall around it and all the names of the, the, of the uh, Israelites are on the gates and then at the foundation of it also the names of the apostles are there. 
And so there are 24 elders. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5 that they are clothed in white robes and they have a crown of gold on their head. But they didn't start out that way. They were all human beings like you and me who were sinners. Some of them were thieves and they were liars. And there's even a murderer in the, in the midst with Apostle Paul. But here they are sitting in white robes as holy elders all around the throne of God with, with crowns of gold on their head. How did they get there? It's because God is a God of grace and he changed their lives. And they only wear those, thrones, those gold crowns because Jesus wore the crown of thorns. And they only have those white robes because Jesus allowed sinful men to take all his clothes and beat him and strip him and kill him on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. God has a throne of grace. And all those around that throne are symbols of that grace. There's also a sea of glass there. Uh, congealed water, in a sense. And where do we see that in Scripture? We see that as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they, they came through the Red Sea and God calls the Red Sea to divide and stand up and the Bible says the water's congealed on one side of them and the other. Those waters should have crashed down upon them like it did Pharaoh's army, but God's got a grace and he made a way for his people to go through and to live and to be delivered. And so there's a sea of glass all around God's throne to remind us that he's a God of grace. And we come to him to a throne of grace. And because of that, the writer says we need to come boldly. To come boldly, that actually means to, to come freely. And so the Bible is saying that we can come Ourself, and we can ask anything openly and freely because it's a throne of grace. And so you're struggling with a weakness, you can come to God's throne of grace, ask him for help, and he'll give you that help. Grace is flowing freely from God's throne right now into our lives. Psalm 103, verse 3, declares the Lord heals all your diseases. Now, is that true? Is God really healing all diseases right now? Because we know there are a lot of sick folk that are not being healed. And when Jesus came and he healed, there were some folks that were not healed during his ministry. But we know this, this verse is true. The Lord heals all our diseases. We just have to understand what it really means. It does not mean that God heals every single person in the moment that we ask him to. And it does not mean that over time God has healed every single person in time, physically. But what it does mean that, that God is constantly pouring out his grace into this world and in different ways he is relieving physical difficulties on a regular basis. There are actually four different ways that God heals. Now put that in your notes. This is very important for us to understand. As we deal with our own sicknesses and we deal with the sickness and the difficulties that others may endure. Let me give you real quick these four ways the Lord heals that we read about in, in Scripture. Number one is providential healing. This is God's natural immune <clears throat> protection that he puts within our bodies to, to fight infection and germs. 
Every single day there are thousands of germs and bacteria that invade our body, but they are taken care of by the immune system that God has put within our body, germ-fighting cells that are within our body that takes care of those, and many of those we never even know anything about. You know, years ago we were all brought to our knees by this virus, COVID-19, that came into the world and stopped everything. And today there's this shot, but the shot doesn't cure the virus. The shot just activates and triggers the immune system that God has put in our body to fight the virus. The only thing that will kill that, kill that virus is what God has put in our bodies. And it's operating right now. And so God is the one who heals from viruses. And the white blood cells that are in our body is what carries this immune or germ-fighting immunity uh, that protects us from diseases that some of us don't even realize. Right now, because God's grace, through our bodies, he's eliminating some germs and bacteria that we don't know anything about that would otherwise put us on our back. And this is God's grace. So the Lord is healing us of all of our diseases. Sometimes it's providential healing that he's gone ahead and, and put it within our system. Secondly, there's what I'll call progressive healing, and that is the medicine and the treatments that, medical treatments that God has afforded doctors and scientists to have discovered in our current age. And when we take advantage of these treatments and medication over time, then healing comes. If you take the medication like the doctor says to take it. And this is progressive healing. And this comes from the Lord as well. All the drugs and things that we have are, are based in natural ingredients that God has created and God has put into this world. And then there is powerful healing. And this is miraculous intervention. God at times does suspend natural law. And for his reason, at the time of his choosing, he does miracles. And he still does miracles today. But it's when he chooses to do it as the need arises. And this is what we could call his powerful, gracious healing. But beyond all of this, there are times when our bodies, despite everything else that God has done for us, even if he's given miraculous healing in a moment, all of our bodies will come to the time where we will wear out and some sickness is going to catch up to us. And when our bodies grow weak and succumb to the attacks of illness in this fallen world, it's at that time that God's perfect healing is granted to those who fear him and trust him as he gives them release from this world to fly into the realm of immortality where there is no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more dying. And we can call this God's perfect healing. And so, yes, the Lord does heal us of all of our diseases. This is what the Lord is allowing to flow from his throne of grace right now into this world, into our lives as we need it for our weaknesses. Another response that comes from the Lord from his throne of grace is Jesus is extending mercy. In verse 16, it talks about how he is tempted as we are, 
And um, I read the first 15 talks about how he's tempted as we are. And then the response to that is that we can find mercy. We can obtain mercy at his throne of grace. And so for our sin, Jesus has mercy. And mercy is God's free and full pardon, undeserved pardon for our sin. We sin, Jesus pays the price, and we go free. As we confess our sin and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, then he pays for our sin, and he frees us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and eventually, this is what's coming, from the presence of sin. And so there is mercy from the Lord because of all of our sin. As you struggle with sin, and we all do, that struggle can be so intense sometimes and it gets to the point where we feel like we'll never be of any use to the Lord. But His mercy turns everything around. His mercy gives us another day. His mercy gives us a new start. His mercy gives us a future and a hope so that we can serve Him and we can live before Him and we can even walk in His very presence. Because of the cleansing that Christ's blood offers us, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, we can actually stand in the very presence of the Holy of Holies. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Have you stumbled in sin recently? Join the crowd. We all have. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that pull you away from the Lord and from His work. The Bible says that because of the blood of Christ, you can return to Him, you can be cleansed, and you can stand in His very presence. And you can walk a new and living way, and you can do something for Him that can only be accomplished through His power. Draw near to Him because He's extending mercy. Finally, number three, Jesus is sending down help in our times of need. As we cry out to him, he is listening. And he sends down help in those moments. The word help here means critical help that meets an urgent need. It means ER kind of help. You know, when you're taken into the ER or someone's taken to the ER, they wheel them in there and they're beginning to try to assess the situation. They're looking the person over. They don't look down at the person. They go, look at those toenails. Aren't they a mess? Let's deal with those. <laughs> no, they skip over that. It's critical, urgent need in times of need that needs to be dealt with first. And Jesus is that way. He looks down on every detail of our life, but he goes to what is most urgent. And he deals with that. There's some things in our life we would like for him to deal with and he overlooks. Why is that? Because he knows it's not, not the most urgent thing. But he deals with that which is most urgent. And he is pouring down that kind of help in our lives on a regular basis, just like he did with the disciples in Matthew chapter 14. The Bible says there that the disciples were below on a troubled sea, tossed by waves and contrary winds. Jesus was above on the mountain praying. 
With one eye, he had an, uh, his eye on the Father, and another eye he had on his followers. And when he saw that his followers were in trouble, Jesus pulled out that prayer, and the Bible says he came walking to them on the waves because there was a storm. And you remember the story, Peter saw the Lord, and the Peter, Peter knew they were in trouble and they needed help, and he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, if it's you, then call me out, and I'll come and I'll walk on the water with you. And Jesus called him, and Peter stepped out, and Peter walked until he began to look at all the waves around him and all the wind. They began to doubt. They began to sink. At that moment, Jesus reaches down, and he grabs him. Underwater, grabs him, pulls him up, makes him stand on the water again, and puts him back in the boat. That's the urgent help that Jesus gives in moments of our life. When he sees us going down, going under, so we're dealing with all of our needs and we don't think we can keep going, he's the one who reaches down from heaven in that very moment and pulls us up and gives us the help we need. What a wonderful, loving Savior we have. Everything you need, he has. And so as we close this morning, let me give you going through difficulty right now and you're wondering how you're going to make it. Know that the highest one in heaven is with you in your lowest, darkest, most difficult moments of your life. And he is able. He is able to bring you through. So be encouraged. Christ feels what you feel. His heart moves with you. And he is... Very moment that you need it, he is pouring down the help that you need. So come to him boldly and seek the help that you need. For sinners who are yet unrepentant, the Lord knows your struggle with sin. He knows that you cannot win that struggle on your own. He isn't looking for you to clean your life up first. He wants you to come to him because he's the only one that can clean you up. And so as you trust him and you repent of your sin, you'll find that everything becomes new. Even those things that are so twisted and so messed up, you, you think could never, ever be right again. The price has been paid. The way is open. His invitation has come. His promise is eternal life. And for those of you who are in need of just general help in life, maybe you need help with your family, maybe you need help with finances, or maybe it's your future, maybe it's your mind, maybe it's your emotions, Maybe it's some other personal thing in your life. Maybe it's all of the above. Jesus has all the help that you need. And he's watching you. He's up on high. And he's looking down. And he's ready to reach down and give you the help you need. Look up. Trust him. Rest in his will and in his love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.